The Word of God for our meditation is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. If you'd like to follow along, it's on page 1032 in your pew Bibles. And if you have the Milford Bible app, it's that fourth tab, and you know what else to do once you're there. Beginning at verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Has anyone ever asked you a theological question? Maybe they were interested to know your view on eschatology. What in the world is that? The last things, what happens at the end of the world. And they may have asked you, are are you premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial? To get you into a conversation. Or are you pre-trib, post-trib, afib, or something else? That was not quite accurate, was it? But they want to ask questions. And people who ask questions usually do do so for two reasons. Some ask you questions because they want to be sure about what you and what they believe. If they have some doubts about something, maybe by asking you a question, you can clear things up for them. 
But on the other hand, people ask theological questions of believers in order to keep them from making a commitment to the Lord. As long as they can say, well, this is not quite clear. You can't prove this or that. And as long as that's the case, why should I believe? The same thing is true of people in Jesus' day, people who asked the right questions and sometimes the wrong questions. You might remember one time when the Sadducees asked Jesus about this woman who was married, what was it, five or seven times, and they said, uh, Jesus, in the resurrection, which the, fa- which the Sadducees didn't believe in, in the resurrection, Lord Jesus, whose wife is she going to be? They tried to trap Jesus or to show him that he really didn't know that much. But other people asked the right questions. Like when Jesus told his disciples that he was about to leave, and Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? A very, very good question. And Jesus answered with those immortal but ever true words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Ask the right question. Now we take a look at our text. It starts off with a lawyer asking Jesus a question. Now when we read about a lawyer, this was not a partner in the Foley uh, law firm, but a lawyer in Jesus' day was an expert in the Jewish law. Sometimes they were called scribes. And the lawyer came to Jesus with a question. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me ask you, was that a good question? Careful. (laughs) What must I do to inherit eternal life? Gordon says no. Why? Right. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life. You must be someone, a child of the one who gives the inheritance. So I would suggest that the lawyer's question was wrong to begin with. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But apparently Jesus wanted to go along with his answer, and he said to the lawyer, Well, you are a lawyer, an expert in the law. What do you read in the law? As if to say, if you could do something to inherit eternal life. And the lawyer must have been very disappointed. He wanted to engage Jesus in some kind of theological debate. And now Jesus is treating him as if he were a Sunday school student getting a quiz from the teacher. What do you read? And the lawyer had to answer because he was the expert in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as 
yourself. If you could do this, then you might have eternal life, right? And again, the lawyer is so disappointed in Jesus' answer. Uh, he wanted to engage Jesus in a debate. He wanted to put Jesus to the test, as we read in the beginning. But now he recites his little Bible verse. And he says to himself, perhaps, how do I take care of this? As long as something is not quite clear, I do not have to act. My life doesn't have to change. I can remain in the theological clouds and never do anything. And then a saving thought comes to the lawyer. Another question. Who is my neighbor? Because as long as that isn't clear, we can keep debating and keep philosophizing about things and nothing has to change. Again, Jesus becomes a great disappointment to the lawyer as Jesus responds by telling a little story. And I can just imagine this lawyer is boiling inside. Again, he's treating me like some know-nothing. But somehow this story that Jesus tells grabs his and also our attention. Who is my neighbor, the lawyer asked. And so Jesus tells the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. How many of you have been to Jerusalem and have traveled that road down to Jericho? Okay, some of you have. We did. And it's a tough road. It goes downhill into a very barren country. An ideal spot for robbers and those who want to do you in. Well, that's what happened to this fella as he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and left him there half dead. So the lawyer says, well... A man, a, a generalization, does that mean anybody? Who's my, who's my neighbor? Is it my boss? Is it my wife? My boss? Maybe that's not a good question. Is it perhaps the checkout girl at the dollar store with her tongue ring and her purple hair? Who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus continues with his story. And as the man is lying there, he looks up and he says, Praise the Lord, here comes the right person to help. It's a priest. And maybe he has come from the temple or uh, maybe in a synagogue that day. Maybe he just gave a sermon on how to be a good Samaritan. Thank God the right person is coming. And we read that the priest saw him. And just as the priest was about to make his first steps toward this poor fellow lying there bloody and half dead, a saving thought comes to him. Who is my neighbor? Is it really this fellow who is lying there? Maybe he was drunk and he drove his donkey into a tree. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> who is my neighbor? 
Is it this fellow or is it my family? You know, if I stop and help this guy, and if there were robbers and bad people around, maybe I'm the next victim. And what would my family say if they put somebody else ahead of them? And maybe he also had the offering that day from the temple. And he thought, if the robbers take God's money, what is God going to say? So all kinds of excuses came to this lawyer's mind. And we read that he passed by on the other side. Well, that was strike one. If this poor fellow on the road had ever seen Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and if he had prayed, oh, Lord, won't this priest be my neighbor? Didn't happen. But then, thank God, here comes another candidate for being a good helper, a Levite. Well, what's a Levite? Basically, a descendant from the tribe of Levi, if you remember the third son of Jacob, born of the concubine Leah, this tribe became kind of the religious leaders of the people of Israel. You had to be of a certain family in this tribe to be a priest, but you could also be a helper if you were from another tribe or another family. The Levite was like a temple helper. And I'm not sure how the man on the road would have recognized him as a Levite. But I'm sure he said, thank God, here's another chance for help. And the Levite, just as the priest, saw this fellow lying there. And I'm sure he had some thoughts of, hmm, here's a chance to show my faith by my works. However, like the priest, he began to do some calculating. And maybe he was on the road to, Jer to uh, Jericho to deliver a lecture on how to be a good Samaritan. And he figured, if I stop and help this one person, that's only one. But if I deliver my wonderful message, maybe hundreds of people will be inspired to go out and help their neighbor. Someone has said, that's devil's math. To justify and to make an excuse on the basis of some calculation. And so we read that he also, like the priest, passed by on the other side. Do we see what happens? They both saw him. And in the judgment scene as described in Matthew, isn't the eyes, what we do with what we see, becomes evidence of our faith? The priest and the Levite someday will say, with those who are condemned, Lord, when did we see you? Sick and imprisoned. In need of clothing. In need of help. Lord, when did we see you? And the priest and Levite would say, Lord, if you uh, turn back the tape, you'll see that our footsteps were not by this person. 
the footsteps went the other way, so we didn't see. And of course, they're mixing up cause and effect. They didn't see because they didn't want to. Well, strike two. No priest, no Levite. And along comes somebody of whom this guy, if he was a genuine Jewish person, and I'm not sure how they could recognize a Samaritan, but maybe by the way he dressed, maybe by his gait, I don't know. We read, but a Samaritan. Now, first of all, what is a Samaritan? I would think that for most of us, the word Samaritan has kind of a positive connotation, doesn't it? We speak of good Samaritan laws, and we hope that when our car breaks down in the middle of the night, that some good Samaritan will come along and, and be helpful. Are any of you into camping with uh, trailers and all these airstreams and things? I understand that there's a club that you can belong to. Anybody know what that is? Yes, the Good Sam Club. I'm not sure what they do. Do they drive around the country looking for broken down campers? Or I don't know, but it's very positive to be a member of the Good Sam Club. And another positive thing when we think of the word Samaritan, uh, we happen to support an organization headed by Franklin Graham called... Oh, you're good. Samaritan's Purse. So what's wrong with the Samaritan? Well, you ask a Jew in the days of Jesus, and he would say everything is wrong with Samaritans. Back in, I think it was 721, the Assyrians came to the northern kingdom of Israel and they conquered them. And they took the people of Samaria and sent them away to somewhere and replaced them by people they had captured from all over the known world at that time. The result was intermarriage between all these strange-sounding people and those who were left in Samaria. And the result was that you had a bunch of people who in the eyes of the Jews were certainly not kosher. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible. And in addition to worshiping Yahweh, they also worshiped, I guess just to be safe, the gods that they used to worship in their own countries. They had a rival temple and they were not looked upon with favor. As you heard the, the New Testament reading before about the woman at the well, you may remember how amazed this woman was that Jesus, a Jew, would be talking to a Samaritan. They were considered unclean. And Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, we are told in the Scripture. So when this man lying on the road sees this Samaritan coming, his initial reaction must have been, oh no, oh no, here comes strike three. But what we read about the Samaritan is so different, such a contrast between those who should have known better, the priest and the Levite. 
He sees the man and he is filled with, the word is compassion. That word literally means to suffer with. He didn't just say, oh, the poor guy, lucky it didn't happen to me. He had compassion, and that compassion led him to action. He went to him, bound up his wounds, and then, surprisingly, set him on his own beast. Now, maybe if you're like me, you're kind of OCD about your vehicle. You don't like to see scuff marks or dirt although my car is in dire need of cleaning at this point. But imagine if this Samaritan had this nice donkey with a velour saddle. (laughs) And then he's hauling this bloody, dripping with all kinds of yuck, putting him on his own beast. I say that's going the extra mile. But not only that, he takes him to an inn and doesn't say to the innkeeper, take good care of him, see ya. But he takes care of him at least overnight. He pays the bill and he says to the innkeeper, when I come back, just tell me what you spent on this guy and I'll I'll repay you. What a contrast. What a contrast. And then Jesus asked the question of the lawyer. This guy who loved to ask questions, Jesus asked the question, which of these three proved neighbor to the man who was in need? You notice the the switch in the question? The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus asked, to whom are you? a neighbor. Ask the right question. Now, we can't leave the story without asking a very important question about who tells the story. We can't forget that it's Jesus. And as we think of the action of the Samaritan, we see so much of our Lord Jesus mirrored in this man and his response. It's Jesus who from eternity looked down the road and saw us, not half dead, but dead, dead. As St. Paul reminds the the folks in Ephesus in chapter 2, not you were half dead in trespasses and sins, but you were dead. And Jesus, moved with compassion, saw us and did something. He not only, he didn't pour in oil and wine, just give us some little first aid, but he poured out his blood in order to cleanse us, as we read in the scriptures, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And by faith in this Jesus, we are healed, we are restored, we are given new life. Ask the right question. Not who is my neighbor, but to whom am I a neighbor as God gives me opportunity with the resources that I have to show my love for 
this very best of Samaritans. There's an incident where some of the enemies of Jesus asked the wrong question. They said, are we not right in calling you a Samaritan? Of course, that was an ultimate put-down. But we say to Jesus, thank you for being the very best Samaritan, giving your life that we might live, giving us forgiveness that we might rejoice to be called sons and daughters of the living God. So may God bless you as you continue and as I continue to travel through this world. Ask the right question. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, not only telling us stories, but telling us the truth about who we are and what we might become through faith in Christ. I pray that if there are those listening this morning who are still asking questions about who Jesus is, what this all means, that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts to ask the right question. Lord Jesus, are you mine? Do I confess my sins and my faith before you? And dear Father, may there be a resounding yes in each of our hearts as we ask the right question. Amen.